All right, so speaking of change, a couple of weeks ago, Matt came up here and he, he had my wife and I come up, um, who unfortunately is not able to be here today because she has a, a migraine headache, which is unfortunate um, because one of the big changes that we're facing is that after 11 years, the Lord is transitioning me out. Uh, I was in Illinois last weekend meeting with the church and really enjoyed my time there. We felt very blessed. Uh, I've been praying consistently about it, asking God to open up my heart. If he's moving me out, I want to have an open heart to, to them, and I feel that opening up, which is a good sign. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back out there on the 12th, so in two weeks, to preach. And in fact, uh, they gave me the topic and even after I'd already written down my idea with what, how to preach and how I want to do that topic, approach it, uh, I even had a dream a couple of nights ago where I was in their church building. I was preaching, and I was coming at a completely different angle. And so I think that's God saying, no, you need to go this way with it. And, and for me, that's an encouragement because if it wasn't the Lord, he wouldn't give me that kind of direction, right? Now, that also means, though, that if he is moving me out of here, all the different things that I do, either, either those gaps have already been filled and filled well by other people, or there are gaps that just simply need to drop, yes. right, in order for new ministries and new things to grow, or God will provide somebody else, because God loves this church family. Yes. He is with this church family through all of it, through everything, through everything, I have had this sermon in the back of my mind for about three months, long before I knew God was going to transition me out. This also means that this is most likely my final sermon to get to preach for you. And I am more than a little emotional about that. I'm not a crier. You're not going to see me cry. I've not shed a single tear in 14 years, and I doubt today's going to be that day. It's just not going to happen, Matt. I'm sorry. Okay? But I can... I would love to. I just can't. There's something in me that doesn't. Here's, I know Jesus wept, but I'm not Jesus. Here's the thing, though, guys. There are more ways to show emotion and to feel emotion than just whether or not a tear comes down my cheek. Right? And so this, just praying through this, I have to trust and rest in God that this is the final word that he has for, from me for you. It also gives me a little bit of freedom, knowing that this is my final one, right? <laughs> I mean, and Matt's stomach drops. <laughs> What's he going to say? So I'm going to start with this. As is often quoted in Scripture, he who has ears, let him hear. We are going to talk about John chapter 17. There's only going to be the end of it that I will end up quoting from Scripture. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up to it. I want to encourage you to never simply rely on whoever is preaching to give you the Word of God. Open up your Word yourself. Engage with the sword of the Spirit. Engage with the Word of God. And test what is spoken from the front here. See, John chapter 17, John chapter 17 is where Jesus is in the garden. And he's praying. So, kiddos, can you guys picture this? Can you picture this? Jesus, he knows exactly what's about to happen. He knows what's about to happen. 
He knows what he's about to go through with the beating and the mocking and death. He knows what's about to happen. Jesus chooses to go to the garden. To the garden, which is, which is where God first created us, in the garden. It's in the garden that Jesus himself chooses to commune and communicate with God in the garden. He asked his, his friends, his best friends, to stay there with him, and they keep falling asleep. And this is what Jesus prays. And he prays in three different sections. I want to kind of just go over what are the values of what it is that he's praying. The first part of Jesus' prayer is where Jesus is praying for himself. Now, as believers, if we call ourselves disciples of Christ, it's important to understand how Jesus himself prays for himself, right? Because we should also desire the same things that Jesus desires. This is what he desires. This is John chapter 17, verse 1 through 5. Again, I'm not going to read it. Read it yourself as I go through these and test it. Jesus desires to honor God the Father. Through his life, through his death, he desires to honor God the Father. Jesus recognizes the authority that God has given him in heaven and on earth. And Jesus acknowledges his purpose. Now, his purpose was twofold, the way he acknowledges it. One is to be glorified as the Son of God, who in turn glorifies the Father. Now, I want to explain that word real fast, because we'll get back to that. The word glorify. Can you guys all, all you kiddos up here, hold up your little light again. Hold up that little light. To glorify something is to shine your light onto something. To shine your light onto something. So when Jesus says that his glory glorifies God, he is saying may his light shine light on God to reveal the Father. To reveal the Father. That was his purpose. The next part of his purpose was to bring eternal life. I'm paraphrasing this here. So he says that this is what eternal life is. In paraphrase... It produces and promotes relational knowledge of God through Jesus Christ himself. It produces and promotes relational knowledge of God. None can come to the Father except through who? The Holy except through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus. None can come to the Father except through him, through the Son. And then finally he prays to return to the Father. To return to the Father and to their former glory together before the world existed. To have complete unity with God. And then in verses 6 through 19, he changes gears a little bit. And he starts to pray for his disciples. He recognizes that one of them has not followed, has heard the truth but did not follow. He's talking about Judas. But this is his prayer for his disciples. First, these are the values. Jesus recognizes that his disciples have been given to him from the Lord, and he commends them back to God as faithful. He recognizes their faithfulness and recognizes that they have been given to Jesus for this time, 
for the Kairos moment of the three years that he was on earth doing ministry, and he gives them back to the Lord. He acknowledges the disciples' faith, their faith in Jesus' own words and his authority and God's authority. He desires for his disciples to remain in him, knowing that he's going to be gone eventually, but he still desires them to remain faithful. And he asks God to protect them while they remain in the world. While they remain in the world. He asks that God to protect them. He has a few more. He's, it's Jesus desires his disciples to have unity with one another. As Jesus is unified with God. So Jesus' unity with God is the model the disciples should be looking at for one another. Jesus desires to have his joy completed in his disciples. Desires to have his joy completed. Jesus seeks protection for them from the evil ones. So not just protection while they're in the world. To be in the world but not of the world. To not be conformed by the world. But also recognizing that while the world, the world who hates his followers will attack them, so will the evil one attack them. But if God is their protector, those attacks can't land. We might get wounded, but they can't land. They cannot destroy us. God is our protector. He is our stronghold and our fortress. Finally, Jesus desires that his disciples remain pure and holy by the truth of his word. Now, the, the word that the, he actually uses there is that fancy word, sanctification. Do you kids know that word, sanctification? It basically means to be made pure and holy. We'll sum it up like that, okay? To be made pure and holy. Sanctification. At last, after all of that, and through all of it, through all of it, he says, now, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those that you have given me. I'm praying for those that you have given me. And then he gets to the part where he prays for all believers. And this is the part we're going to kind of sit in for a little bit. In a little while, we're going to actually read this section. It's John 17, 20 through 26. Again, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to read ahead. In a little while, we're going to read this, and I'm going to challenge you all to close your eyes and let the prayer of Jesus wash over you. Because here's the thing. If Jesus is praying for all believers, he's not just praying for the 5,000 that he's fed. He's not just praying for the people there. You know who he's praying for? He's praying for you, Olivia. Jesus is praying for you, Louise. Jesus was praying for you. Josh, he was praying for you. All believers. Now, Jesus in his mind might not have, he might not have had the capacity to bring up every single face of every single person who will ever live and has always ever lived that will come to know him. But in his heart, he knows who he is praying for. If this is a prayer for all believers, it is a shame if we discount it and time lock it to just that time and place in the garden because this is a prayer for us. This is what Jesus Christ himself wanted for you specifically. This is the value. When he lifted you up in the garden before he went to the cross, 
This is the value he presented for you on your behalf before God the Father. This is what he desires for you. Jesus prays for our unity with one another. That means that we, we don't separate ourselves out on petty issues. We don't separate ourselves out on issues of power and who's in charge. We don't separate ourselves out based on the color of our skin or the political title that we want to carry. We don't separate ourselves out based on men and women. What we unify under God's banner, the banner that covers us, over us is love. Jesus' value, the first value that he lifted up on behalf of you was to be unified, not to be divided and divisive. To be unified. This is the vision for the church. When Jesus says, I see a body of believers, an ecclesia, an assembly of believers who are unified in love for one another because of their love for God the Father, this is the vision of the church. Don't forget the mission of the church is to go unto all the world and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in Jesus' name. But the vision is what makes that possible. The vision is what drives us to love one another, to go and to seek others, to make them disciples, to unify them with the body. Jesus prays for our unity with God in Christ as his representatives in the world. If we fail in that endeavor, we are not representatives of Christ even if we call ourselves Christian. Because we are not unified by God, but we are trying to lift up some other name, some other ego, something else to produce and present. The vision of the church is to have unity with one another and unity with God. Then he gives us a strategy to see that happen. Jesus desires our presence to remain with him and to see him glorified. Again, there's that little light. Taking our little light that's on the hill and we don't cover it up, but we take that little light and we shine it back to Jesus. And as we shine our light back to Jesus, other people are following the direction of the light and there they see Jesus and they see that Jesus is in turn glorifying the Father and they see God the Father. And there they find unity with him. Presence with Jesus Christ. He desires for us to reflect the Father's love for the Son. So it's not even just that we hold up our light glorifying Jesus, but we also hold up a mirror. We are a mirror to reflect the Father. Often those mirrors get a little dirty, don't they? They do. That's why Jesus is here to sanctify us, to cleanse us ongoing, to set us apart and make us holy as he is holy. And then he desires for us to proclaim his name with words and actions by love. That's the mission. That's the go into all the world. There's an interesting thing I want to point out with all three of these sections. It's, I almost feel like we should read them in reverse. Because when you seek the values that Jesus Christ has for all believers, what it ends up producing in you and in your faith and your relationship with God are the values that he has for his closest disciples. Yeah. 
And as you then in turn seek those values that he has for his closest disciples, which we grow into becoming, we then also develop and seek the desires that Jesus has for himself before God. They're reciprocal. They produce spiritual growth. I'll give you an example. The value for us as all believers, unity with one another and God. What does that encourage? Authentic community for the people, for the disciples to remain unified together. It encourages authentic community that protects us from the evil one. In turn, that causes us to rely on God's protection and confirms his authority over our lives. Remaining present with Jesus allows us to see his joy completed for us. And in our finding joy in Jesus' joy, in turn, glorifies Jesus and glorifies God. It redirects joy as a fruit of the Spirit can happen in the midst of circumstances that are external from us that do not bring joy. You know what? We're going to be going through some change and some transition. As a body here, my family will be going through some massive changes and transition. The least of all, moving from Kansas City, Missouri, which is a very large town, to a town of 4,000 people. All right? There will be some culture shock there. Okay? There will be some culture shock. There will be difficulties in the transition. There will be stress. But in the midst of all that, if we keep our eyes on God, we will find massive amounts of joy through all of it. Our external circumstances do not determine our inner reality with Jesus Christ by the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can find joy in all circumstances. Remaining present with Jesus also builds our relationship with God the Father. And then finally, resting in and reflecting God's love for us toward others actually produces that ongoing purity and holiness because we're not self-seeking. We're seeking others. We're looking for God and his influence and his ways. And in doing that, we set aside our ego and our pride and our insecurities and everything else. And we say, as Isaiah said, here I am, Father, send me. That purity and holiness, the sanctification, that then actually returns us to our former glory that we had with God in the garden. And we can't go all the way back to when before things were created like Jesus can. But he does call us back to the garden, doesn't he? And we can regain that former glory that we had with God. It's not a long sermon. One of my favorite verses, and I can preach for a long time. You all know I can. Who said amen? <laughs> it's true, Michelle. But one of my favorite verses is Ecclesiastes 6.11. This is one of my life verses. The more the words, the less the meaning. And to what profit is that to anyone? doesn't have to be a long sermon. If it has to be, it has to be. But I want you to close your eyes.
please. And I'm going to read through John 17, 20 through 26. Close your eyes, and I want you to picture, here's what I want you to picture while your eyes are closed, and you just listen to the words as I read them. I want you to picture Jesus Christ in the garden, and you're there with him. You're there with him. Jesus didn't necessarily have his eyes closed when he was praying. He may have been looking right at you. Picture his face. Doesn't have to be the Jesus that people picture of the, the flowing hair and the blue robe and all that kind of stuff. Picture Jesus. And he's looking at you. And he's about to talk to his father while looking at you. And it's quiet in the garden. The animals are sleeping, probably some insects chirping. But it's quiet. And Jesus Christ is looking at you and there are tears on his face knowing what he's about to face. And he says to God, and when I say this, I want you to put your name into it internally. Jesus says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. That the world may know you have sent me and have loved me as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you have loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will continue to make it known, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. Unity is the vision that he has for the church. Not division and separation and worry or fear and concern or anything else, but unity. Unity. Unity with one another. Unity with God. I like words. I like definitions of words. I'm a big fan of learning prefixes and suffixes because if you've never heard a word before but you understand the prefixes and suffixes, you can generally discern the definition of the word. One of my favorite words that we have in Scripture is the word communion, which literally means with unity. Does everybody have communion, have this? If you don't have it, the ushers are going to pass, pass it out. And then if you do have one, if you do have one, kids included in this, I want to ask everybody in here, if you're able to, 
to come forward and stand up here. My kids, you guys can come forward up here too. If you don't have communion, make sure you get one, okay? We can take just a moment and make sure everybody has one. Because when I look out, I see, I see spaces between the people. There are spaces that we keep, the personal bubbles, the spaces that we keep in relationship, the spaces that we keep from being known and fully known and knowing others and fully knowing others. Jesus Christ is here to break down those spaces so that we can have unity with one another and unity with God. So kiddos, after we do this, this is going to be the last thing. I have to tell you, please kids, do not just go run off because there are a lot of other people in the church, okay, that aren't going to move as fast as you. So go to your parents calmly afterwards and we'll go have potluck. Can you guys smell the potluck? So we're going to have this, but then the real feast is in a second. I hate August. It doesn't matter. August. It's okay. Go ahead and prepare it. Go ahead and take out the bread. Obviously, don't, don't open up the juice upside down. We're... Does anybody else need it? Does everybody have it? Jaden needs one. That's okay. That's nice. That's nice, buddy. Okay. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In doing this in remembrance of him, we remain in Jesus Christ. And his joy is made complete in us. We recognize and remember the sacrifice of his body on the cross, and we do this with unity. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He says, for, often, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is a time of unity and a time of hope and a time of joy. It is not some tripe religious act that we do week to week. It has depth and meaning for the purpose of reminding us of the vision that Jesus Christ has for you as part of the ecclesia. I'm going to pray for you. 
I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to thank you for giving me the 11 years I've had to get to love you and speak into your lives. God, my Heavenly Father, God, you are God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Father, you are present in this building. You are present in our hearts. You are present in our minds. Father, may we, may we be unified with you in all things. May we persevere and pursue you, Lord Jesus. May we look to you at all times. Protect us, Lord God, from the evil one. Protect us, Father, from the world and show us what it means to be conformed to Christ and not conformed to the culture around us. God, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you bless this body, that you bless this family, that this sanctuary be filled with worshipers, that the body here reach out to their friends and to their neighbors and bring people into the fold of Christ, God that they see the life that you have, not just for this church family, but for themselves, and they go out into their ats, Father. They go and they make disciples of you, not of an individual church, but disciples of you. And may we do so with unity, not just unity amongst our body here, but it starts right here, Father, but unity with the other denominations, the other churches around us, Father. May we recognize the value in building up your kingdom and that your kingdom is not just at this one location. But may the fire of heaven come forth from this location. May the fire of heaven burn in our hearts and drive us to know you and desire you to seek you. May we have your vision, Father, for unity with each other and with God. May we remain in your presence and may your joy be complete in us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.